Hey, this is Pastor Jeremy from Awakened Church. I hope you enjoy this week's message. So uh, raise your hand if you were here last week. All right. Yeah. Wonderful. So those of you who were here last week, you would remember um, I preached on the, on the transfiguration of Christ. That's a big word, transfiguration, which means transform, right? Um, so I preached on how Jesus was transformed before his disciples. Uh, literally, what happened was Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. They went up on a high mountain, and they saw Jesus like they had never seen him before. Um, they had an encounter with Jesus that they had never had before. Um, and then I mentioned that 30 years later, that this encounter was so, so dramatic. 30 years later, the apostle Peter wrote about it in his book, Second Peter. He wrote about the encounter that he had 30 years after it happened, okay? Uh, 30 years after, it was still vivid in his mind. 30 years later, it was still wrecking him in the best possible way, right? And so the question that I posed last week was this, uh, what are those encounters with him that are, you're still talking about? What are those encounters with Jesus that you're still talking about? What are those moments with him that have solidified your commitment to him after all those years? And what difference are they making now? So what are those moments or encounters with him that you're still talking about? Maybe five years. Maybe it's been, been like five years from, since a dramatic encounter with him. Maybe it's been one year. Maybe it's been three months or two months or a month. What are they? And how are they making a difference now? Right? What are they and how are they making a difference? Because the fact is this, is that we all have something. We all have something. We all have something that we're facing that may be bigger than us, stronger than us. We all have something that we're facing that we don't have the ability to face on our own. Uh, we've all had something that we've had trouble overcoming by ourselves or on our own and something that is stronger or prevailing over us. We all have something, man. We all have something or we've had something. We all have something or we ha have had something. I remember being a lot younger than I am. I know. I know you're thinking, well, you're pretty young now, Jeremy. Could have been that long ago. You didn't think that was funny, did you? My wife, my wife didn't laugh at that. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I remember being younger and really struggling in my relationship with Jesus. Um, it was before I really accepted uh, the destiny that he had for me and the call on my life. And um, I wasn't even sure that I wanted to follow Jesus. Honestly, I really wasn't sure. Uh, but I had moved back in with my mom and dad. And this particular Sunday morning, I was laying in bed, and my mom was trying to wake me up to go to church. <laughs> I didn't want to get up. But on the TV comes this preacher. She turned on the TV, because that's what moms do whenever you need to get up. They'll do something annoying. <laughs> she turns on the TV, and there's a preacher that comes on. And he says, all you preachers who are laying in bed on Sunday morning, discouraged and wondering if you're going to accept your call, get up out of bed and go to church. I'm serious. I'm serious. So what I did was I got up. I woke up. <laughs> 
I got up, and I'm still up. <laughs> I am still up, and so now we are calling other people to get up or to wake up, awaken, right? Um, I also remember not knowing what my future held as a young Christian, being about 18 years old, and being a senior in high school, wondering what direction to go, how to go about it, and but sincerely seeking the Lord every time there was an invitation, sincerely seeking the Lord for direction in my life. I remember every time there was an altar call, I was up at the altar. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I'm just saying that's what I did every time. And so Super Bowl Sunday of 1998, I decided to go to church instead of watch the Super Bowl, which I'm a pretty big football fan, so that was a sacrifice. Not really, but it was, I do like football. And so I went to church that Sunday, that Sunday night, and I heard the Lord's voice clearly say, Jeremy, I want you to preach. And then after that, like electricity just surged through my body. I didn't, I never had an encounter like that, but it forever wrecked me, changed me. And so that was when I was 18, 43 now. Somebody do the math for me. <laughs> but, but I am still wrecked now because of that. I'm still changed because of that encounter. I don't, I don't tell you that for the goosebumps or the way that it made me feel. Yeah, there, was, there were physical manifestations of my body because God is an all-consuming and all-powerful God, but because it made a difference in my life, right? Yeah. Uh, I remember, I remember Labor Day of 2000, and uh, I was a prodigal running hard from God, didn't want to follow God. Again, struggling. It was a wrestling match, man. Labor Day of 2000. As a drunk man at the University of Cincinnati, working at a liquor store. And, and I've told this story many times, but the Lord called out to me. It's time to come back to the Father's house. And in my bathroom, I knelt at the toilet and, and, and said a sinner's prayer. And he accepted me back in and flooded my heart with love and clarity for my life. But it's forever wrecked me, forever changed me. I remember whenever I was a, a missionary, uh, I took a, a small missions trip over to El Salvador, just a week or 10 days. And I was up in an upper room praying, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, bring your family over here. I was like, okay. <laughs> I walk across the street, and the host missionaries say, hey, Jeremy, why don't you bring your family over here next year? I remember, and so we moved in obedience. I remember these times. I remember being at a conference, and I've told you this story too before, but I remember being at a global awakening conference, and Melvin and I wondering and struggling about if we were going to plant a church and what God wanted us to do with our ministry because we were really, really unsettled, and we knew there was so much more. And then God gave me a dream where I saw four figures in my room, and then a voice came, and he said, do you really want this? And so I, so I said, yes, and then I saw my arms being loaded up with gifts, and then just a short while after that, we made the trip down to Florida, literally loaded up with gifts to do what God had called us to do. I remember praying for Melvina as, she's had, as she was having a, like a gallbladder attack. I remember praying for her. On my, I remember this spot on our couch in, uh, in Ohio, and I was praying, and I started praying in the spirit for some of the first times, praying in tongues over my wife, and I just felt this, this unusual presence of God come over her, and then she was healed. I remember that, and it changed us. Changed our thinking. We've never gotten over it. I remember... 
praying, uh, praying with, with, with some trusted prayer warriors in, in the church we were pastoring in Ohio after some trauma hit our family. Walking back and forth in our home, pacing and praying with these prayer warriors. And just the fact that I knew God had answered our prayer. I can take you to the hallway. I can take you to the time when he answered the prayer. I knew it. I knew that he answered prayer. I remember our first 21-day fast after we had just transitioned here. And we weren't even like meeting corporately together. But we were, we were, we were praying on Zoom with just a few people. Mostly just my parents in West Virginia. But I remember the Lord highlighted from Luke 15 that the lost would be found. And so, and so I was praying it, and I was praying it for the county. I was praying, it, yeah, God, you know the lost will be found. I mean, that's what every church prays for. But then I encountered something at work when I was working at the prison where something was lost, and it was being blamed on me. And I was about to go through a lot of stuff, and I was so shaken. And then I remembered the lost will be found. And literally, the Lord led me to ask the right question at the right person, and that thing was found. I'll take you to the exact spot. I remember just this past year in the 21-day fast, and a situation came up that I was really, really concerned about, and I prayed, and I increased my fast, and I really needed an answer from the Lord, and the Lord said, it is done, and nine months later, it was resolved. I can take you to it. It can take you to spots and times where Melvina and I have labored and prayed together and God's given a word or God's given peace or God's broken through. Man, I just, I'm just telling you these things because these things have, have changed the trajectory of our life and they've added to the history that we have with God. They've added to the history that we have with God. And I would just ask you, do you have a history with him? <laughs> All right. I rem so, so this Tuesday, just as, this is very recent history. This Tuesday, I'm driving from, from the Oaks Rehab Facility where I just visited someone. And so it's from, two, from, from, from there in Avon Park to here. On the way, the Lord reminds me of Isaiah 40. And he highlights to my mind, Jeremy, if you're tired, your hope is misplaced. Jeremy, if you're exhausted, your hope is misplaced because those who hope or wait in the Lord look with expectation. They will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. <laughs> they will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. I mean, this is, this, is the, the, this, this is what God does, and so I'll take you to that exact route. <laughs> and so it's changed me today. It's changed me today. Do you have a history with him? What's the history been like, man? Can you recall, because we know this is that we overcome, Revelation would say, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, but that's not just the moment and the day we were saved, but that's our history. What's your testimony of them, Joe? Man, what's your history? Why don't you stand with me? I want to read uh, this week's uh, scripture verses out of Mark 9. We are tracking in Mark 9. So everyone has something. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. 
And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Say that. Say, if you can. Say this. All things are possible for one who believes. Let's say it again. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Say that, and he he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, yo, Jesus, why can we cast it out? And he said to them, say this with me, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And most other manuscripts would also read in fasting. All right, go ahead and sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. So we're going to start, we're going to start at the end, all right? Um, Someone smarter than me said that we should always start or begin with the end in mind. So we're going to begin here with the end. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. All of the encounters that I mentioned above, they were in reference to prayer. Okay? All of the encounters that I took you through, and there's so many more that I testified about. They were all in reference to prayer. They were all in relationship to prayer. They were all as I was praying or because somebody prayed for me. Jesus was teaching the disciples that they must have a history with him. That you must have a history with Jesus. You must have a history with him. They must have a prayer and a fasting life. Mike Bickle would say uh, from International House of Prayer that the most important thing that any follower of Jesus can do is develop a prayer life. The most important thing. He didn't tell them what he did so that he would, have, so that he would give them a formula. Like this kind comes not, doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. He wasn't giving them a formula to get through the somethings of life. right? Because remember, we all have something. Wave your hand at me. We all have something, right? Yep, yep, I got something. I got something. He taught them about prayer and fasting so, they would, so that they would know what to do when something's happened. When they encountered their something. He didn't give them a formula. He just told them what he told them so that they would know what to do when the somethings happened. 
like Melvina and I were talking the other night. As Christians, we travel this life differently. At least we should. Because after all, the power of the resurrected Christ lives in us, right? Amen, Jeremy. Yeah. I know I should get a lot more pumped up about that, but yeah, the power of the resurrected Christ lives in me. <laughs> it's true. So we should travel this life differently because we all get hit with a lot of somethings, man, right? We all get hit with a lot of somethings. But here's the deal. Like David said in the Psalms, my one thing needs to overshadow all of my somethings. Just like we were singing about today, like David said, in the Psalms, it's one thing I've asked, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to behold his beauty. See, when this one thing really gets a hold of your heart, it impacts all the somethings. In other words, a prayer and a fasting life, it puts Jesus, check this out, in the driver's seat. In other words, a prayer and a fasting life puts Jesus in the driver's seat. And here's why I say this. In verse 29, he said, Jesus said to the disciples, this kind cannot be driven out, driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So a fasting and a prayer life puts Jesus in the driver's seat. Remember, he taught, he taught his disciples to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he is the driver, Right? He's the driver. The disciples couldn't drive the spirit out. Why? Because disciples are not good drivers. <laughs> disciples are not good drivers. And the dad of the boy that he was upset because they could not. Everybody say could not. The dad of the boy that they that he brought his son to Jesus, he was upset because they could not. When it says they could not, it means that they did not have the power, the strength, or ability on their own. They could not prevail or they could not overcome. So how often have we ended up at the same place the disciples were, right? We've ended up at the same place because we were trying to drive. We're trying to drive. Man, I'm so thankful for GPS devices. Um, I remember uh, early on, uh, when I was a FedEx driver in eastern Ohio, way back in the day, and we didn't even have like the, uh, or at least I didn't have a smartphone. I think I was, I didn't have enough money to get, where is my phone? Oh, it's up there. <laughs> but, we, but a cousin of mine gave me his little Garmin. You remember the Garmin GPSs, right? So, uh, when, but when I was training for FedEx, like they take you through this whole big training thing, and they're like, you know, don't use a GPS rely on your map skills. And I'm like, maps? Like, how am I supposed to, like, you want me to come in early, map out my route, and then go? And so I was like, okay. And then my first day of training, this chain pipe smoker trainer of mine, like, seriously, he was chain smoking pipes the whole way. Not a cigarette, not, I mean, pipes. He would be driving, packing his pipe, and just smoking pipes all day long. And he had his little GPS up here. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to use the GPS. <laughs> no maps, just, just the GPS, Jeremy. But I, I grew to love GPSs, and, and, and today, like, really, we don't try to find any place on our own, right? If I don't know where someone, something is, I'll just type it in my phone, or I'll tell Siri, hey, Siri, directions to 
whatever, right? Even as much as I like to think I know where I'm going, I need direction. Even as much as I like to think I know what to do, I need direction. Thank you. Thank you. So these disciples, what they needed, they needed direction, and they needed power outside of themselves. They needed direction, and they needed power outside of themselves. They were trying to drive. Listen to this. They couldn't drive the demon out. They were trying to drive when all it was is their responsibility was to listen. They were trying to drive when all it was, their responsibility was just to listen. Remember what Jesus told, and, and I can imagine Peter, James, and John, like he, they probably wanted to share this with the other disciples when they came off the mountain because what they heard the Father say about Jesus was, this is my beloved son, listen to them, listen to him. And so their responsibility was to listen, listen. You don't have to drive this thing by yourself. You don't, have to, you don't have to just go through Moses. You don't have to do what you think you know you should do just because you have to do something. No, your responsibility is to listen. And so what prayer is, is prayer is this beautiful exchange. That's what the pr word prayer actually means. It's an exchange. It's an exchange. I'm going to exchange with God what I don't know what to do for his know-how to do. Right? I'm going to exchange my weakness for his strength. I'm going to exchange my lack of direction for his perfect direction. I'm going to exchange my sin for his righteousness. I'm going to exchange my wickedness for his cleansing. Prayer is an exchange. Amen? And so, and without prayer, we don't even know that we have everything we need spiritually. Like we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We don't even know that we have these things without listening or reading the word and praying. But what prayer does is it, is it allows the, these things that we've been given in the, spiritually free, in the spiritual, freely given by God, it allows it to manifest in the natural. Like you already have provision to do what God wants you to do but he's going to use the means of prayer to release those to you. Right? Right? Like his, his will is for you to be forgiven, but it's only through prayer that you access that forgiveness and that manifests natural, in the natural to you. Right? Like it, we have the power of the resurrected Christ living in us as Christians, but that power isn't going to manifest outside of a relationship with God. Of course God knows that you need it. He knows what we need before we even ask him, but he has chosen prayer to reveal or to manifest in our life what he's already given us. And it's a beautiful thing because it's a directional thing. It's a relational thing. Yeah? All right. So, check this out. What could have happened in this episode is that the disciples could have listened for what to do, and they would have had power that was cultivated through a prayer life. They could have listened to what to do. And they would have had power that was cultivated through a prayer life. Instead, here's what Jesus said. Jesus called them faithless. I am a friend of God. I mean, we love to hear those songs, right? We love to hear those things. I am a friend of God. Remember that old song? Yeah, Toby's jamming with me right there. Like, we love to hear him say that, but what about when he's like, you faithless generation, how, how long must I put up with you? <laughs> like, we're like, whoa, that's not me. That's definitely somebody behind me. That's, yo, I'm a friend here. I'm a friend. <laughs> I'm not faithless. I'm faithful. 
But here's the thing. You say you're faithful, but faith will always be expressed in a meaningful prayer life. Anybody who's ever been used mightily of God, anybody who's ever followed directions of God, has all, it has always been through a, a meaningful prayer life. Tell me someone you've read in history that's been used mightily of God and didn't have a strong prayer life. You can't. Through, par- through prayer, we're going to encounter very real kinds of things. We, we will sense and know God's movement upon our heart, and then we move in obedience. That's what happens in prayer. We sense and know God's movement upon our heart, and then we move in obedience. What did Jesus say in verse 23? He said, all things are possible for one who, for one who believes. It's interesting that it says one who believes. I don't think it means this contextually, but practically, it just kind of hit my heart that it implies not, not, that not everyone will believe. <laughs> to the one who will believe. It'll be the few who face their somethings in life with a prayer life and know what to do because they have a history with God. Right? I'm thinking of Tom and Susan just a few months ago, and they had some things going on, and they have a history with God, and so they knew what to do. They prayed together, and they came for prayer. And then what did you do? You watched God work out what it was that you were praying for, right? Quickly, yeah. He doesn't always do things quickly. We're not, his timetable is his. I'm saying, like, this is what happens when you have a history with him. You know where to go. You know where to go. To the one who believes. And I just want to ask you, are you willing to be the one in your family who believes? Are you willing to maybe be the one in your marriage who believes? Are you willing to be the one in your, in, in, in your, in, in, at your job who believes? Are you willing to be the one? Because all things are possible for the one who believes. To the praying mom who won't quit praying for their children, Loretta. Like, are you willing to be the one? Yeah. Because all things are possible for those who believe. All things. It doesn't matter what it looks like or even how long it's been going on. This is what really can kind of offend us. It doesn't matter what it looks like or even how long it's been going on. Because the boy, to natural eyes, he looked pretty scary, didn't he? Seizures, foaming at the mouth, violent, convulsing. This was like, whoa, and some of us, when things look, get to looking bad in our life, when we're facing that something that looks really bad or looks really scary, we're like, yo, I was believing before that, but now this is kind of scary. It had been going on even since childhood for the boy. So what's your something look like? What does it look like? What does your something look like and how long has it been affecting you or your family? What what does it look like and how long has it been going on? For some of us, it's disappointment that's been going on for so long and so long. And you're like, yeah, I have a history, but this. And God is just calling you back into hoping again. Believing again. You're weary because your hope has been misplaced. You're exhausted because your hope has been misplaced. Jesus asked the Father those questions, and then immediately he drove out the the Spirit. Remember, he asked the Father, how long has it been going on? 
And then he immediately drove the spirit out because Jesus, see, he knew what was going on. Right? Jesus knew what was going on. He called it like it was. He said, you mute and deaf spirit. He knew what was going on. Why? Because he was in communion with the Father. Remember, Jesus was man and God, 100% man, 100% God, and he stayed in communion with the Father. He had a history with his Father. And he only did what he saw the Father do, and he only, he said what, he only, he only said what he heard the Father say. And so in this communion with the Father, he knew what to do. It wasn't like Jesus came to, the, came to this situation. He's like, wait, hold on. Let me, let me f- pray and fast for a little bit, and then I'll get back to you. Because that would be formalizing it, and it's not a formula. What this means is that, is that through a prayer life, through having a history with God, you're in communion with him, and you're going to know what to do. It's possible for us to know what to do with these some things in our life. How do we bring him before God? It's possible to know. Jesus knew exactly what to do. He knew what was going on with this boy, and so he called it out. And he said, never enter again. He took authority. Do you know that there's nothing above the name of Jesus? Man, I got, I almost wrecked the car last Friday. Because this song came on, there was worship, I put on some good worship music, and this song was talking about the authority of Jesus, and I just realized that all these somethings that I've been praying for and trusting for, that they have to bow at the name of Jesus, that there is nothing above the name of Jesus? I'm serious. Man, it changed, it changed my, my whole day. It changed my day when I realized, again, because we have to remember these things, don't we? I'll take you back to the road, and I'll show you where I almost wrecked. <laughs> I was not correct. No. But I'm serious because we need to be reminded of this, that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's Matthew 28 in your Bible. And so he has all authority, and so he can look at the Spirit, and he says, hey, I know what this is, mute and deaf spirit, get out of here, never come back again. The thing is, is that we don't think we have, we have the authority <laughs> To do what Jesus did. We don't believe that we can do what he says, he says we can do because we haven't spent enough time with him. We haven't developed this prayer life. And so we let all the kinds of things come back in and we, we cast things out and they come back in. We do better and then we do, do, we do good and then we do bad. And we're like, ah, and we just, we're just not using what God has given us because we're not developing a history with him. That's a good message right there, Jeremy. Good point. I'm not to the good part yet. It's about to get good. Here, Joe, you ready? All right. The boy became dead like a corpse, but Jesus raised him up. Jesus raised him up. So what would Jesus say? I don't want you, I don't want you to answer out loud. It might be embarrassing. It might be good. I don't know. Jesus is calling it like it is today, like he called that mute and deaf spirit like it is. He didn't go around it. He just called it like it is. Are you faithless or faithful today? Are you faithless or faithful? Because Jesus knows. When he came down the mountain with those three guys, he didn't pack any, you know, he didn't beat around the bush. He's like, are you faithless? Are you, he said, you faithless generation. 
Is your family being infused with faithfulness or faithlessness? Because we all got some things. It's not a matter of if you have something, but we all got something. We got some things in our life. Amen? We got some really big things we don't have power to do on our own. And so are you being faithless or faithful? Have you given up or are you, are, are you believing? Are you saying to Jesus, if you can or I know you can? If you can or I know you can. Have you given up on impossibilities? All means all things. Remember when we read that together? <laughs> all things are possible. Not some things are impossible. All things. All things includes your something. I'm preaching a lot better than you're acting right now. I pick up all these dumb things preacher says because I listen to a lot of preachers. Sorry. But it's, it's interesting that Peter, James, and John were talking about the resurrection and what it could mean. And then Jesus goes and raises this boy up. Remember, that's right after they were coming down the mountain. And he's, they're, they're talking about the resurrection because they have no context to understand. In a Jewish mind, rising from the dead, it, wasn't, it just wasn't there. It wasn't part of what they understood. It wasn't part of their reality. Jesus poses this brand new concept that he's going to suffer and die and rise again. What does this mean? And so they're talking about it. And Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone until after I'm, after I'm risen from the dead. What you saw up here on the mountain, don't tell anybody. So they're just talking about it amongst themselves. Like, what is going on? So here's the last point. To get up, you can't give up. To get up, you can't give up. Some of you are approving that statement. Ooh, cool. I'm not going to give it up. You probably give me a like on Facebook. Give me a thumbs up. Some of you are kind of like right here. Eh, I don't know. But check it out. It's from Scripture. The boy's dad didn't give up. Right, because the disciples couldn't do it, so he talked to Jesus himself. Even though he hadn't seen a change in so long, he brought the boy to Jesus, right? Even though he had some unbelief, he wanted help. Right? He says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like a lot of us are there today, like, yeah, I believe, but I help my unbelief, Lord. I, I believe, but I'm not, I need some help with this belief. Yeah. The disciples didn't give up. At least they asked why they couldn't drive it out, right? They didn't give up on themselves. They didn't give up on their ability to follow Jesus. They came to him with an honest question. Why couldn't we do it? They didn't give up. The boy didn't give up. The disciples didn't give up. Jesus didn't give up on the dad, the boy, or his disciples. <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? Benny, if you could put a worship pad on for me, thank you. Jesus didn't give up on the, the dad, the boy, or his disciples. Jesus ran into the tension. Remember? They came down the mountain. 
And, and, and they, all they heard was all this tension, this, this argument going on between the disciples and the scribes. Jesus wasn't like, hey, yeah, let's go around this. Peter, James, and John, I see a situation here. We got a code 92. Yeah, let's go around here. <laughs> he ran right into the argument. He ran right there. Some of you are caught in this debate this, this argument maybe with yourself, maybe with the Lord, about the whys, the hows, just something there. Jesus is running right into that argument. He's running right into that debate where you're wondering if he can, will he can, does he still? He's running right into that. Jesus ran right into the powerlessness of his disciples. They could not. But he ran right into their weakness, didn't he? He ran right into it. He's like, because what the experience on the mountain, what the experience on the mountain has to do, those encounters, is what it does is it prepares you for what's down here. And so that you so, so you can run straight into, into very uncomfortable situations. But man, remember what I said earlier, Melvina and I were talking about. We travel this road differently. Because we're not the drivers. Jesus ran right into the argument. He ran right into the powerlessness of his disciples. I know you can't, but I can. He can. He can. Jesus ran into the unbelief of the dad. A dad's unbelief couldn't deter Jesus. He ran right into it. Jesus ran into the condition of the boy. The boy's condition and how long he had it, it didn't deter Jesus. He ran straight into that condition. And it's very interesting that the same word is used for Jesus raising the boy up. In the original Greek, the same word is using for when Jesus raised the boy up as when Jesus was talking to the disciples about him rising from the grave. He arose. He arose. We sing about it on Easter, but I just wonder if the reality is ours today. Man, he arose. He arose. It's like he is saying that the one expression of the resurrection, you guys are talking about what all this means. The one expression of the resurrection is giving life to dead boys. You're talking about what this means. You're wondering about what all this means. But the one expression of the resurrection that he's telling them about in this case is that he's given life to dead little boys. He's given life to dead little boys. People will come back to life from being dominated by demonic power. You're wondering about what the resurrection means. Jesus is saying people are going to come back to life after being under demonic power for so many years. This is the reality of the resurrection. They will. He arose. My testimony is your testimony. Remember, Christ rose first. <laughs> then those of us who believe in him, we will rise again. Amen? Amen. 
that not even death can hold us like death couldn't hold Jesus. Not even death will hold us. He arose. My testimony is your testimony. If you remember back in the very beginning of the verses we read, they were talking about Elijah. and The disciples had a question about Elijah the prophet. They were wondering about if he's going to come back first and, and what all is going on with that situation. You can read about it later, but just so you know, Malachi prophesied, the prophet Malachi prophesied that Elijah will come and turn hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. Before Jesus comes, before he returns. I'll read that again. Malachi prophesied that Elijah will come and turn hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their father before Jesus returns. So there's a spiritual response of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. There's a spiritual response of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. Kids will begin to be released from demonic power and to their dads. Before the Lord comes, this is the promise that you can read about in Malachi. This is what's happening. This is what he promises that, yes, Elijah will come. Before the Lord comes back, Elijah will come, and there'll be this turning. Just like he released this boy from demonic power, hearts of fathers will be turned to their sons, through their children, and the hearts of children to their dads and moms. The thing is that we have to have a prayer life to realize this. Jesus ran to this boy and raised him up. The earthly father's heart was turned to him, and the boy now could respond rightly to him. You know, Jesus is doing this. Jesus is raising up a generation that will respond rightly to him. He is. He is. He's raising up a a generation that will rightly respond to him. But you can't give up on your kids. And if the kids were in here and some of you are, you can't give up on your parents. See, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what he says in Luke chapter 1. But even he said that he wasn't Elijah. There will be a physical appearance of the prophet Elijah before Jesus returns. And there will be a resurrection of healthy family dynamics. (laughs) He's doing this now, but he's going to do it even in greater measure. As the hearts of fathers turn to their children and the hearts of children turn to their fathers. 
And it's kind of interesting that Elijah was a man like us with like passions and desires like us. And he prayed for three and a half years and it didn't rain. And then he prayed again and it rained. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. James 5.16 says Jesus taught them about prayer and the necessity of a history with God. And it's all in the context of Elijah. This is spiritual sons and daughters, and this is also natural sons and daughters. I heard someone preaching this week, and they said, you know, a lot of people may come and they say they hear from God or they have a prophetic gift. And, you know, the first thing I say, I tell them is, where are the youth that you're mentoring? Because if you have a true prophetic heart, if you have a true heart to hear God, then what you're going to do is exactly what Malachi said. You're going to go and you're going to find some kids and you're going to disciple them. You're going to be intentional. This is <laughs> this, not your natural children, but they're going to be your spiritual children. Listen, this is the reason why the world is in the shape that it's in. There's so many orphans. children to their fathers. The hearts of <laughs> spiritual mothers to their children. And the hearts of children to their mothers. He's going to do it, guys. He's going to do it. <laughs> do you believe that? Do you believe it? You know, this is our call here, and I want to remind you, and then there's going to be an invitation. This is our call here. We're raising up a house of prayer that worships Jesus and seeks him for revival in our city. And what that's the context of all this is that the youth are going to come, and there's a large youth group here, but youth are going to be impacted dramatically by the Lord, gain a history with him, have encounters with him, and then they're going to learn to listen to him and obey him, and we're going to send them out to reach the world. But it's going to take intentionality, yeah going to take intentionality. Like the other day, I don't do this enough. But my son, my youngest son was wanting to play basketball. And I had things to do. I had some things. But he was calling me to play basketball. So I came in and complained a minute to Melvina, just being honest. And I put on some shorts and go out and school the little boy in basketball. <laughs> Actually, he beat me. I owe him a sweet tea. But I'm just saying that to say, guys, that it takes intentionality. It takes intentionality. It takes sowing your lives into the youth and into the children. And we have a dedicated staff of people who work with the children and the youth back there. You know what they need? They need your prayers and they need your participation. It could just be that the Lord is turning your heart. Maybe it's in this context. Maybe it's in other contexts. It's okay. But how is it that the Lord's turning your heart to the younger generation? Because it's not going to happen automatically, Joe. Correct? 
Oh, Lord, save the world. We're in such a bad predicament right now. Who are you discipling? So this, the, the invitation this morning is to encounter God. That's a good one, isn't it? It's to develop a history with him beginning now. Maybe you don't need to remember your history. Maybe like the dad of this boy, you need help with unbelief. Or maybe like me on many days, you've been driving and just need to hand the steering wheel off to him again. Because I've been driving and I shouldn't be driving. I have one responsibility and that's to listen. Does that make sense? My responsibility is to listen. So here you go, Lord, for the hundredth time. But you know, he, he, I believe he takes pleasure in just that honest heart flow, right? Here you go, Lord, I can't do it. I'm driving, but I need you to drive. Honestly, I can't. The most important thing you can do in life is develop a history with God or develop a prayer life. Here comes a shameless plug for our Wednesday prayers, morning, noon, and night. If you can, get here. If not, pray where you are. Make time to develop a history with him. Because when you're something's happening, you know. You're going to know what to do. You can know what to do. I've been in this place of exhaustion before, and so this is what I'm going to do. My hope has got to be in the Lord. Yeah? Stand with me, everybody. Yeah, stand with me if you can. I want my wife to come up and join me here. And Tom and Sue. PJ, Dr. Brown, if you can come join us up here. Maybe the, maybe the Lord has touched your heart in some way during this sermon. And you, you just know you need prayer. Maybe you need an encounter with him. Maybe you want to pray for your heart to be turned to, the, turned to the children. Maybe you need to pray for the heart of fathers. Like you just have this burden for the hearts of fathers to be turned toward their children. This Elijah call has really gripped your heart. It's for a reason. Follow your tears. Follow your, your burden, your passion. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord, but you would like to have a personal relationship with him. We want to pray for you. Any one of us can help you with any prayer need that you have. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to hang out here for a few moments. And you're welcome to go. If you don't want to want any prayer, that's fine. God bless you. We want to give uh, those of you in the room who would like prayer to just come forward and receive prayer from, from some of us. Maybe you need healing in your body. But specifically, anything from this message. Maybe you need faith to believe again. We want to pray with you. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure you like and share the podcast. And if you're ever in the Highlands County area, uh, make sure you stop by and visit us. Uh, We're located at 1121 uh, Memorial Drive in Avon Park, Florida. Uh, We'd love to meet you here.